0: So, good morning, Eastside family. We want to ask the most amazing members of our church family to stand now. Those of you who are from four years old through third grade. And go to junior worship, and if you're new here and you have children of that age range, just follow the exodus of people that are headed in that direction, and while they're going there, I certainly want to remind you of a very important aspect of our worship assembly that is our offering, and there are four different ways that we make possible for you to bring your offering to the Lord. You can mail a check to our church address. You can give a, uh, your offering through an automatic draft through the bank. You can go online to our website on our homepage. Look for the little box that says give and follow the simple directions. Or for those of you that are here in person, you can drop your offering off there at the basket, at the table on the way out. Now, speaking of offering, I actually have two announcements that don't count against the sermon time that I want to share with you this morning, um, for those of you that have got the stopwatch running there. As a part of our vision at Eastside to connect, grow, and to serve, we, we have a, a wonderful, wonderful opportunity at, at this Thanksgiving season, at this Christmas season, to reach out. And to touch our community on Sunday, November 14th, and I'm thinking that's not this coming Sunday, but the next one. Look on your calendar. We're going to have what we call our annual harvest offering, a, a thank offering and, and this comes out of the Old Testament model of, of the Israelite people, they would do like we do they would bring their, their regular tithes and offerings to the temple for the for the work of the Lord in the temple but there was a time at the end of the year or you would call it the end of the harvest season where they were so thankful so grateful to God that they would bring a first fruit offering, they'd bring a, an offering saying God you've been so good to me this year that I want to express it not just in my words but in the this donation of, of something that I give to you. And then that the, those donated goods would go into the community to help those who are in need. And so we have an organization that we partner with called Mercy's Gate. And so Mercy's gonna, Gate is going to receive all of our um, donated goods that it's going to be food offerings that we're going to bring or it's going to be as well a financial offering. And then Mercy's Gate, they are on the front lines and we have a team of our members who work with Mercy's Gate. Mercy's gaze on the front lines working with people in our community who are desperate and who are hurting, who are hungry, who are close to being homeless. And so, especially over the holiday time when they're struggling to to have food uh, for, for Thanksgiving, especially there's going to be, you go to the website, or you get through Care Mail, or Sarah put the link on the bulletin as well. You find the food basket that we would ask that you would bring you to bring it on the 14th there'll be a time in the service where you'll bring that food offering to the stage here and we'll pray over it and we'll send it to mercy's gate there'll also be baskets on top of our regular uh, weekly tithe for us to bring an offering of money for mercy's gate and specifically this offering was going to help some folks who are on the verge Of having to move out where they live because they can't afford to stay there any longer this is to help them stay in their homes through the holidays Mercy's Gate does that with with lots of members and so you can make a difference we can make a difference in that way November 14th be thinking about getting your food basket ready and be thinking about the way with your finances you can say God you've been so good to me I want to in turn serve and give to someone else And then I also want to make you aware of a class that I'm going to start teaching this coming Sunday, this, excuse me, this coming Wednesday right here in the auditorium on Wednesday evenings. And the name of the class, and it's going to be for a few Wednesdays to come in the future as well, is entitled, The Sound of Silence. And I get that title from the passage in 1 Corinthians 14, which says that women should remain silent in the churches. I just love getting out those fun topics. So what do, you, what do you do with that? What do you do with that passage that's in the Bible? And let's, let's be honest, you look around outside of the church, this, this divisive thing in our culture, this issue, this struggle that we have of gender discrimination, perhaps we could call it, it's out there, but it's a struggle that, is, that becomes so challenging, so divisive in churches. It's a struggle we face in this church family. What do we do about it? How, how do we understand is what we're going to do. These passages in the Bible, we're going to look at not everything the Bible has to say about gender and men and women, but there's three particular passages we're really going to focus on that are the, the hot, sensitive ones in and we're going to look at those and say, what, what is God telling us here? And how does that apply to our church? And so if you want to come and uh, be a part of that, we would love for you to be a part of that. Uh, Wednesdays at 630. And so speaking of silence, that reminds me of a story. There was a, there was a married couple... I was going to use me and Karen as an example, but I thought, I better not, I better not. I'll just say there was a married couple, all right, because we don't have this problem. And they had a hard time getting along, and whenever they would get into conflict, they would just give one another the silent treatment. They just wouldn't talk to one another for a, a duration of time until finally one of them just couldn't stand it any longer, and they would break down and break the silence, And so one day, they they were going through this really rough patch. It had lasted for for over a week, and they just weren't talking to one another. Well, the husband had one day, he had this trip that he was planning going fishing, and he was going to have to get up really early at 5 a.m. And his problem was he was a real heavy sleeper. And he was afraid he was going to sleep in and not get up and miss his fishing trip. And so he needed his wife to tell his wife he needed her to wake him up at 5 in the morning because she was an early riser, had no problem with that. But the problem was he wasn't about to tell her that because he was stubborn. He wasn't going to be the one to to break the silence. And so he thought, this is what I'll do. He took a little sticky note and he wrote on the sticky note, please wake me up in the morning at 5 a.m. And he put it right where he knew she would see it. And he went to bed. He woke up the next morning at 9.30 in the morning, absolutely furious. That his wife failed to wake him up and he sat up in bed mad as he could be and there was a note next to on his pillow that said it's 5 a.m. Wake up. (laughs) Have you ever given the silent treatment? Have you ever received the silent treatment? At home? Yeah, some of you spouses are going, oh, he prepared this sermon for us at church. Are there people here you just don't talk to? Isn't that awkward? It happens. You see them in the hallway, and you do what? They turn the other way, or you turn the other way, or, and you start walking in that dir- opposite direction. Or maybe you can't help but be in that little circle of people with them, but they just pretend and act as though you don't even exist you're in the same room with that individual and there's no eye contact that's given. You got that going on? You got, you got it going on where you just call and you call and you call and will they ever pick up the phone? You send text messages, you send emails and there's absolutely no like, like is there a problem? Have they blocked me? What is going on? What is the problem? Have you ever felt that way with God? As though God is giving you the silent treatment. Did that reading that you heard on the video reading today, did you go, oh yeah, man, I I get that. Listen to these words from the psalmist. Do Do they resonate with you? Why, oh Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Like, God, God. Where are you? How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long? You're not supposed to say these things, but these are real things. These are raw feelings, and the psalmist is expressing them. How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? And he cries out, Look on me. Would you look at me? Are you even noticing? It's, it's the silent treatment that sometimes we feel from God. And so as, as Luke is setting the stage for the story of Emmanuel, God with us, coming on the scene, Christ being born as we're entering into that story, the setting of this story in the history of the Israelites, is a period of what they would say the silent treatment so let me explain you know, I told you last week. For those of you that are kind of new to the Bible, you got two volumes. Volume one is the Old Testament. Volume two is the New Testament, and there's a period of time in between. The last book, and the very last book in the Old Testament, is the book of Malachi. In the very last book of Mal- in the very last book in the Bible, Old Testament, Malachi, in Malachi's very last chapter, prophesied sometime around 420 BC. He writes these words that the sun, S U N, like the sun in the sky, the sun of righteousness he foretold, would arise with healing in its wings. And you back up and look at the larger context of Malachi, it's clear he's speaking of this long-awaited Messiah of Jesus who would come. And those of you that are familiar with biblical history know that the Israelites longed for, and they, they looked for the day of this prophecy be fulfilled but after Malachi spoke these words of prophecy for the next 400 years it's like there's nothing it's like silence there's no record of God speaking there's no record of a prophet bringing a message from God there's no record of, of an angel showing up from God and saying God has something to say it's like just nothing Prayers are going up, and they're like they're hitting the ceiling. No answer. Why the silence? Why the 400 years of waiting? Where is this promised son of righteousness? And it's the silent treatment. And it was more than that. It was not only a period of silence, but it was a period of darkness. And and Luke, as we're going to see later on in chapter 1, that's where we're headed here in in, in Luke. In chapter 1, in verse 78, Luke writes, The rising sun will come to us from heaven. S-U-N, the rising sun will come to us from heaven. The Jewish people clearly understood this to be the Messiah. This is very similar language to, to, to that of Malachi. The son of righteousness is coming. And so this tells us that Prior to the rising of the sun, what's it usually no, what's it usually like? What's it always like? It's dark. And so prior to this coming of the Messiah, prior to the rising of the sun, it was not only a period of silence, but it was a period of darkness. And if you're familiar with the history of the Israelite people, as Luke is opening this story, you know it was an incredibly dark period of history. Back way 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 up and you have the Assyrians who invaded the northern kingdom They destroyed the northern kingdom took captives away and the northern kingdom from that period further ceased to exist And then we follow the story of the Babylonian Empire say we'll take care of the south They moved into the southern kingdom destroyed the southern kingdom and for 70 years carried the people away into a period of darkness and captivity and followed by that, there was a period of the rule and the oppression of the, the Medo-Persian empire over the Jewish people. And then that was followed by years of rule and cruel oppression on the empire of the Greeks, who, for example, under a guy named Antiochus Epiphanes, he, he brutally butchered many Jews. He came into the temple, the holy of holies, the most holy place, he, he desecrated those sacred places, he, he, worsh- he, he sacrificed a pig on the altar and he brought idols into the land. And then when they were done, that was followed by the Jewish people now being subjected as Luke opens his gospel to the rule of the Roman Empire. And they placed Herod in place over the local people there in Judea as we read in Luke in verse 5. So this whole time, the Jewish people waiting on God to do something. You ever been there? Crying out for this to end, to regain their place, to regain their kingdom, to regain their promised king. But, but silence for four hundred years and and they're asking I thought Malachi promised the son of righteousness would come and the son of righteousness Malachi also also prophesied that he's gonna trample down and defeat our enemies where they're still in place and so Israel sunk into A period of despair and depression and and their own form of rebellion and religious apostasy waiting and wondering when will God ever do something about this just as He promised. And it reminds you, doesn't it? It does me of the story way further back in the Old Testament of the Israelites that were in Egypt enslaved for 400 years crying out, free us! And you've got to think that in that 400-year time, there was somebody that was born, and this child grew up hearing their parents pray for deliverance. And then that child as an adult, for the rest of that child's life, prayed for deliverance, and in that 400-year period of time, died never seeing it. What about that? The silent treatment. And so, this is the setting as, as Luke opens his gospel. A period of silence from God. And it's dark. And the people are waiting. Waiting for the promised deliverance and for the promised Messiah, as, as Isaiah identified him as Emmanuel. Oh, come. Oh come, Emmanuel! Was the cry of their heavy hearts, and that's a popular Christmas song. But if you look at the words, it's a song of crying out to God in despair, in darkness, in longing. Listen to these words: Oh come, oh come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appeared. God come and set us free O come thou rod of Jesse, free thine own from Satan's tyranny O come thou dayspring from on high, that rising sun O come thou dayspring from on high and cheer, cheer us Cheer our spirits by thine advent here. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night. Some of us are there now. And so, into this time of, of darkness and silence and uncertainty, Luke writes this gospel. In his prologue, he mentions to give certainty to the people. Now, there was another, another prophecy that, that Malachi, as he's closing in chapter 4 with, another prophecy that accompanied the prophecy of the coming of this Messiah. He prophesies, now, before this Lord, this Messiah, this Deliverer comes, you'll know that He's coming because prior to Him, there will be this, this forerunner, he calls it, who will herald and prepare the people for the coming of the Messiah. And so be looking for that, Malachi says, and so they look for 400 years, and so Luke builds a segue, a bridge from Malachi to Luke 1, and he opens his gospel with that story of this forerunner, not really the forerunner at first, but with his parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth. They're our main characters today to you kids who are taking notes. they are actually sons that are, that's why I mentioned that. And and here's what's fascinating. This story of of Zechariah and Elizabeth is is a snapshot of the larger story of Israel for this is a couple on an individual basis who were experiencing what Israel was facing on a national basis. They were going through the, the silent treatment. Let's enter the story. Luke chapter 1 and verse 5. In the, time of king, in the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Let's stop there for a minute and just it's, 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 it's worth noting. Elizabeth is a beautiful Hebrew name that is translated, term, literally you would understand it, to mean God's oath promise from God, God's oath Zechariah is also a Hebrew name that means God remembers and so you put that together Zechariah and, and, and Elizabeth God remembers his oath and that's incredibly ironic given their story and given the story of Israel at this period of their history because it sure didn't feel like God had remembered any promises they were as, as Luke tells us they were a people from, 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 good, from a good family. They had a lot going them. They from them. They were from a very prestigious priestly lineage. And then their character, they were of impeccable character. As Luke describes in verse 6, he says, both of them were righteous in the sight of God. I wonder what I am in the sight of God. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. Luke tells us of this couple, but there was one monster blemish on this beautiful couple. Verse 7 But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. And they were both very old and if you know the history of the first century time to be childless in their day as Elizabeth is going to mention later it was a it was a stigma it was a social disgrace and now at their age it's it's too late and so you just got to put yourselves in their shoes and you just wonder how many prayers do you suppose they prayed how often did they ask God for a child, only to get nothing. Silence. Did they ever wonder if God cared? Would you have? Did they ever question His love? I might have. Did they ever like just become angry with God? Have you? And here's the crazy part. We're getting ready to go into the the next story with Mary. And here's this virgin teenager who gets pregnant with absolutely no effort. It's so unfair. Why her? What about me? You ever felt that way? But then... After years of silence and discouragement and longing, God broke the silence for Zechariah and Elizabeth, but also for Israel. Verse 8. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God He was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense And when the time for the burning of incense came all the assembled worshipers You got you got to visualize this they were praying outside Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense when Zechariah saw him He was startled and gripped with fear, but the angel said to him, "Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard." And so we have to ask, "Well, what prayer is he talking about?" Could it have been? It could have been, yes, the prayer for a child. But as a faithful Israelite, you can imagine Zechariah had been praying for the coming of the Messiah. Look at the larger context here of chapter one, and I and I'm inclined to believe. Your prayer has been heard was both of those prayers. God had been listening. He had been listening. Verse 13. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and... ready a people prepared for the Lord and if you remember Malachi in chapter 4 he's pulling that from Malachi those are Malachi's words of prophecy given some 400 years prior they're going to have a boy they're going to have a boy his name's going to be John Wait a minute. Zechariah asked the angel, verse 18, (laughs) how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. Now, no offense, Don and Norma, (laughs) but if God said to you, you're going to conceive and give birth to a, a child. <laughs> you would do what I'm doing right now. You'd laugh and say, No way. It's okay for Don to say, I don't get it. How's that going to happen? Verse 19, the angel said to him, I am A- Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. The angel's point is, look, you're questioning God? Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, actually, I am. Now, if, keep, keep in mind this. I think this is significant to note. If, if the angel in this moment was standing in the presence of God and if Zechariah was standing in the presence of the angel that tells me that in this time of prayer prayers that were symbolized by these incense that he was burning in the holy place that means in this time of prayer he was standing in the presence of God God was there He he had always been there watching and listening. I think I need that reminder because it's possible for me to go through the ritual of prayer and it be nothing more than a ritual forgetting that you stand in the presence of God. So the angel told Zechariah in verse 20, and now you will be silent and not able to speak until this day happens because you did not believe my words which will come true at their appointed time. So take that phrase, their appointed time, put it over here and we're going to bring it back in a minute. I just think it's not really a main point. You can work this out in your life groups. Isn't it interesting that for 400 years there's silence for God and from God and now he speaks and now there's going to be nine months of silence for Zechariah. Verse 21, Meanwhile the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he had stayed so long in the temple. When he came out he could not speak to them. They realized he'd seen a vision in the temple for he kept making signs to them. But his wife they could not make signs to him but remained unable to speak excuse me verse 23 when this time of service was completed he returned home you know Elizabeth must have been curious to tell me everything that happened not a word after this his wife Elizabeth became pregnant Norma's pregnant (laughs) And for five months, remained in seclusion. Why in seclusion? Because if Norma said, I'm pregnant, everybody would go, you're crazy, Norma. Until she starts showing five months later. Can you imagine? This is a miracle. I love her words. Verse 25, the Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. And so, with this, Kevin's been telling crazy stories, Bible stories of the teenagers on Wednesday nights. Kevin, this is a crazy story. With this unbelievable story, Luke is now setting the story of Christ Emmanuel coming into this world. And there is so much here that I had to leave out so it's for you and your in your in your life groups to, to unpack the details of this story I'm going to give you three things that I think are significant from this story I first of all see a lesson about God in the darkness I want you to hear this some of you need to hear this in the darkness in the dark night of the soul When you can't see him, he is there. In in the deafening silence, with tears as you cry out to him, he's listening and he's answering in his appointed I'm bringing that back over remember I put it over here in his appointed time not yours I've learned over the years that he doesn't always give me what I want when I want and looking back on those times that's that's a good thing it's a lesson about God it's a lesson for us what do you do what do you do in in this time of the silent treatment One word, wait, wait. Those were the words of the prophet Isaiah to God's people in Isaiah 40, very similar to Malachi's time frame in Isaiah 40, 31, to these people of Israel who were getting ready to go into 70 years of captivity, 70 years of darkness, and that was going to be followed by many more years of pain and oppression, and just like with Malachi, God through Isaiah said, yes, but one day will come this forerunner who will will clear the path for the Messiah, and then the Messiah will come, but for now, for this moment you must wait you know the song some of you do upon the Lord you could translate that you must trust in the Lord you must hope in the Lord and so for Zechariah and Elizabeth in spite of the fact that things weren't going the way they wanted when they wanted they they trusted they hoped they waited on the Lord with the waiting marked by you saw it their faithful obedience. Didn't give up on God. And prayer. And why does God do that to us? Why the waiting? These are not my words. I found them from someone else. I just didn't, I failed in my journal journal to write their name down. Here it is. What God does in us, listen to this carefully, what God does in us while we are waiting is sometimes more important than what we're waiting for. I'm not saying what we're waiting for isn't important. What God does in us while we are waiting is sometimes more important than what we're waiting for. So many times we think of the waiting as just the time you've got to endure until you get from God what you want. When actually it's the waiting period where God is doing His incredible transformative work in our lives. And that demands faith. And that's hard. Trusting when you don't know, you don't understand, you don't see it, and you don't even like it. But I've often thought that perhaps if we always got what we always wanted, when we wanted it, would we be so inclined to even walk with God? Because would we even feel like we need Him? But it's there in the waiting that it pulls us to our knees in prayer where God wants us, where God can do His greatest work in our lives. There's a lesson for us. There's a lesson about God here, and, and as this story is setting the stage for Jesus, there's an incredibly relevant lesson about Jesus. Who is this one who was to come, who came to the people years ago, and now is coming into our lives? Well, oh, there's so much to say here. I'll summarize it in these ways He is the fulfillment of God's promise to his people. God had not forgotten, He has not forgotten. You. He is as Zechariah and Liz's name. Oh, sometimes in abbreviation, I don't put Elizabeth, I put Liz about that. He is, let me say it correctly. I've got Zech and Liz here about 100 times in my notes. Let me say it correctly. He is as Zechariah and Elizabeth's names convey, the God who remembered his oath. Who is this Messiah? He is the voice of God who spoke into our deafening silence. He is the one who is preceded by, by others, by Zechariah, by Elizabeth, and, and then it would be by John to prepare the hearts and lives of people for the coming of Christ. And so there is a calling here for us to be those forerunners as we are entering into the season of Advent to be His, his, his heralds of proclaiming and preparing and helping people who don't know Christ. To invite them to know him. He is, as Malachi prophesied, the sun, S U N, of righteousness that rises with healing in his wings. He is, as Luke writes, the rising sun that comes to us from heaven. He brings light into our darkness, He brings light into our nation, into our lives. And brings light out of our longing, out of our waiting, out of our sin, out of our strife, out of our division. He brings light into a pandemic. He brings light into political strife, into our racial tension, into our family conflicts, into our marital conflicts, into our financial conflicts. He brings light into our loneliness, and our depression, into our mourning, and our uncertainty. And so this popular Christmas song tells us as well... O come, O come, Emmanuel. He des- this song describes him as the desire of nations. The desire of the nation of Israel. The desire of the nation of America. The den- desire of the nations of the world. Listen to these words that were actually written in Latin 1,200 years ago, translated in English, and they are so incredibly applicable as a longing in our hearts today for Christ to come. O come, desire of nations, bind all people, excuse me, bind all peoples in one heart and mind, bid envy, strife, and quarrels, cease, fill the whole world with heaven's peace." 1,200 years later, it's still the prayer of our longing that is so relevant and needed. Let's pray. Father, in this moment of of silence, and in this moment that for some of us is so dark and uncertain, come before you and we lift up to you this prayer of longing for your coming again and again into our lives into our nation into our world who is this this promised Messiah to come he is the God Who, in this moment of our silence and our darkness is very present, who hears and who cares and who answers as we cry out to Him. So what is the the longing of your heart for your life, for your family, for your nation, we want to bring this longing before God in prayer, and I want to encourage you to, to go to one another. Let's get out of our chairs, and if you need a shepherd to come pray with you, our shepherds are available. Let's bring before God our hearts as we enter into this time of prayer. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the Senior Minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.